Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. We're going to transition as we continue to worship in the Word. Again, my name is Jonathan. I'm one of the elders here. For any first-time visitors, we'd love to meet you at the Welcome Center. Stan and Pam are there. Answer any questions you may have uh, and help you to get connected with our e-blast. We'd love to meet you in the back table after service. Today we're in Luke 16. We're going to start in verse 14 and read through the end of the chapter. Luke 16, starting in verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here. And you are in anguish. And besides, all of this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and may not cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Thanks, Jonathan. Such a sweet child dedication this morning. I am Andy. I'm one of the elders here at Resurrection Church. Welcome. 
Jonathan welcomed you. Um, I get the opportunity to lead in worship of the Word this morning. Before we do that, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your son Jesus. I thank you for your church. I thank you, Jesus, that you gather your people to hear your Word, to orient our hearts to the kingdom of God, being a right, a right relationship with God Almighty. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for you. Holy Spirit, be my teacher this morning. Pray that I don't miss the mark, Father, in your word. Father, your word is good. Help me to rightly divide it. Father, I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I heard a comedian say one, something like this one time. He said, I was sitting on a beanbag chair eating Cheetos, flipping through the channels on the TV. And he said, he said, I come across this televangelist. And this televangelist said, have you spent half your life pursuing sins of the flesh? I said, yeah. And he said, are you sitting in a beanbag chair eating Cheetos? <laughs> and he goes, this guy's good. <laughs> and he said, do you feel the urge to send me $1,000? And he said, close. For a minute there, I thought you were talking about me. It's kind of where we're at here in the text this morning. In, in Luke chapter 16, if you're not already there, get there. Let's back up a little bit from where Jonathan read and let's start reading in verse 10. It should be on the screen. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. And the setting here, Jesus is, if you remember from last week, Jesus is addressing his disciples, but often when Jesus is teaching, it's not, it's not very private. There's so many people gathered and hearing, so many people within earshot um, to, to his teaching. So verse 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. To the Pharisees, they would say, yes, Jesus. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your, your own? Preach it, Jesus. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. Close, Jesus. <laughs> for a minute there... I thought you were teaching it with some sense to you. Close. In fact, their reaction is a little harsher. That ridiculed word in the original text means they turned their noses up at him. They went, Pfft. that was a reaction. It could mean something like this. That, that kind of talk, that's beneath us. That teaching, that's beneath us. Why would they react to Jesus' statement that way? You cannot serve God and money. Well, Luke tells us there in verse 14, he says they were lovers of money. It's possible, though, that the reaction was more like this. I can serve God and money and pull it off just fine. Given that Jesus had just said that if you serve two masters, what it will lead to is loving one and hating the other. 
We've already, Luke's already told us that they love money. So what does that mean? The Pharisees are in a bad spot right here. They're in a bad spot. Wouldn't we conclude that they're spiritually sick? I think so. We know that spiritual sickness is serious. For the soul, it's a matter of life or death. Now, when you hear about somebody with a serious health issue, what do you generally want to know? What questions maybe would you ask? Serious health issue. Well, I can think of four. One, what are the symptoms? Two, what is the diagnosis? Now, who in here has a WebMD app? <laughs> who likes WebMD? If that's you, you're thinking, oh, give me the symptoms, I'll type it in here and I'll spit a diagnosis out in just a, in a skinny minute. Just give it to me. If that's you, this is for you. What are the symptoms? What is the diagnosis? Number three, what's the treatment plan look like? Number four, what does the quality of life look like? Right? These are some of the questions we might ask with a serious health issue. Does Jesus care about the sick? You better believe he does. In Luke 5.31, Jesus said this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus, based on how they responded, he starts to get diagnostic here. He considers the symptoms. Symptom number one, Pharisees, you justify yourselves before men. What does that mean? Let's remember who the Pharisees are and what they do. So they are among the religious elite in Israel. They would teach and provide counsel and strict oversight of the law and its oral traditions. That's what they did. Besides enforcing oral traditions, they were falling short by finding loopholes in the law given through Moses and leveraging them in their favor. Apparently, they don't see any wrongdoing in that and they feel justified in it. So self-justification is one symptom. What else? Well, he goes on. Second is Jesus tells them that they are exalting themselves among men. How are they doing that? Well, in the Gospel of Mark, this was taught, on, taught here a while back, and we're heading there in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 20, it talks about how the scribes, the Pharisees would be caught up in this. How they devour widows' houses is how it's put in the text. What's, what's that about? So what they do, when there's a, when there's a widower, the, the, the husband's gone, the estate's tied up, was tied up in his name, the house. What the scribes and the Pharisees would do is they would go to them and trick them into deeding their homes to them. They would, they would get their homes, they would devour their homes in a sense. So they're, what they're doing, they're elevating themselves for financial gain. They're exalting themselves. 
To which God would say, Jesus goes on, that man exaltation is an abomination in the sight of God. Now that, that should get their attention. As the Old Testament and the law talks about when you do not follow the law, in some cases it can be an abomination. An abomination is something detestable. It's disgusting to God, basically. But that's what it can lead to. Man exaltation can lead to something disgusting in the sight of God. And remember, their sole purpose is, is following the law and trying to honor God in the law. Jesus mentions this, he says, but God knows your hearts. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This reaction they had, this turn their nose up at Jesus, is their heart speaking. So here's the diagnosis. He's, Jesus has looked at the symptoms. Here's the diagnosis that Jesus arrives at. Pharisees, you have a heart problem. Your heart is sick. It's turned away from God. It's pursuing this. God's behind them now. So what does the treatment plan look like? That's the next question, right? What's the symptoms? What's the diagnosis? What's the treatment plan? How do they recover? Let's read verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. So there were, it says there was, there were the law and the prophets. Now this is capital L law. This is not speaking about one law. This is referring to the Torah, first five books of the Bible. This is where all the laws are recorded uh, through Moses. We got capital P prophets. That's not just talking about a group of men, a group of prophets. It's actually talking about the books of the Bible where God speaks through prophets, for the prophecy and revelation to his people, people Israel. They didn't have books back then. They had scrolls. This is the entirety of the Scripture. When he talks about the law and the prophets, it's the entirety of the scrolls of the Scripture that they had of the day. They were, and, then, and they were until John. So what is it in these scrolls, in the Scriptures, that connect John. We're talking about John the Baptist here. That's who Jesus is talking about. What, what connects them to John? So if you remember, if we go back earlier in Luke 3, it talks a little bit about what, who John the Baptist was and what he did. Luke tells us that John went throughout the region proclaiming a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He goes on to write, this is in verses 2 through 6 of chapter 3. As it is written by the prophet Isaiah. And he starts quoting Isaiah 40. Now here's some in the passage that he quotes in, in Isaiah 40. This is somewhat, I'm just going to summarize. He starts with, The voice of one crying in the wilderness. If we think about John the Baptist, that's what he was doing. He was out in the wilderness preaching. What else does it say? Prepare the way of the Lord. 
and then finishes with, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So prepare the way of the Lord. So what Isaiah spoke of is pointing to and being fulfilled in John the Baptist there. Right? Isaiah 40. John saying, repent, prepare, and see. So the law and the prophets were until John, and then something's new happening with John, right? Since then, the good news of the kingdom is being preached. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom is being pre preached. Past tense, the law and the prophets, they were. Now the good news of the kingdom is being preached. So God's kingdom doesn't end with John the Baptist. You remember what John said when he was questioned about being, about being the Christ. Some thought he was the Christ. This is what he said, Luke 3.16, he said, He who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. That's the one that, that John is preparing the way for. So this should get the gears turning in the Pharisees' heads. Now we're starting to, connect, starting to connect the Scripture here. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the kingdom of God is being preached. Jesus did preach about the kingdom of God being near. They might remember that. Right? They may remember, you know, I heard someone in his, from his hometown when he visited there that he claimed to be the one, the one that Isaiah spoke of when he said, the, the anointed one who proclaims good news to the poor, who sets the captive, captives free, and who proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. Right? This is all things that should point these Pharisees to Jesus. Now what's the effect of the good news of the kingdom being preached? Jesus said, everyone is forcing his way into it. Another way to say that is, everyone has conviction for the kingdom. I, um, my boys play soccer. I'm, I've grown to love soccer. Uh, we watch it on TV. Uh, earlier this summer, we were watching a championship game. Um, I don't remember which one it was, but it was an international tournament, one that the U.S. doesn't, doesn't uh, participate in. Um, and I believe it was Spanish soccer and English soccer, and they had this big tournament, and they come to the championship. So we started watching the pregame coverage, and the focus was not about the championship game and the players. The, what was shown on video and what the focus of was the fans. And it showed droves of fans in the street, and this is not a, this is not a walk path. There were cars behind them beeping their horns. They couldn't get through. The, the entire road was filled with fans walking towards the stadium. Now, these fans had probably followed this team for the whole season, and maybe for, I don't remember the, how long it had been since this team has been in a championship, but possibly for years. And their hope was that their team would make it to the championship and win it, and they wanted to be a part of it, and now it was time to go see them. They wanted to see their team lifting up that championship trophy. They wanted to be a part of it, participate in it. They're in droves to try to get in that stadium. Well, they get to the stadium. The stadium has six gates to enter it. There's some kind of 
technical difficulty, some kind of communication issues with the security. Maybe the gates wouldn't unlock. I don't know. They only had, they only had one gate to go through. So they'd spread all the way around the stadium trying to get in, and they had to be funneled into one gate. And they're all backed up in the street. And they were, they were starting to get unruly about it and yelling about it. I've got to get into the stadium. I've got to be with my team. I've got to support my team. Well, at some point, it shows fans, the fans that weren't close to the gate or couldn't get into that gate, they started scaling the wall. Huge wall, climbing it, jumping over the wall, and it showed the, this is all pregame coverage. I was watching, they're showing this happening. And the security was trying to chase them, and they'd evade them, dodge them, and go up the steps and run into the stadium. This is the kind of conviction I think that Jesus is talking about here when they're trying to force their way into the kingdom with, with much conviction because of the good news is being preached. This is what we've been hoping for for so long. Now it's time I want into the kingdom. Here's the good news. are already pursuing this kingdom wholeheartedly, purposefully, and with conviction. Those are healthy hearts. So Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is being fulfilled in me now. We just sang about it. The law and the, uh, to fulfill the law and prophets. The third song. We just sang about it. The kingdom of God is being fulfilled in me now, and I'm more than qualified. If, if their issue with Him if their, pff, was about authority, I am more than qualified to... Talk about this, Jesus says. More than qualified to proclaim that you cannot serve God in money. So here's a treatment plan, Pharisees. Consider the Scriptures and hear what's being preached. The Scriptures are going to lead you right to me. And now it's time. Now it's time for the kingdom to be fulfilled. That will put you on the road to recovery. Again, I think what's implied in their response is that they can serve God and money, that they can, they can even love both. We can, I can do that, God. I can do that, Jesus. I can love both. Starting in verse 17, Jesus sets his sights on their apparent arrogance about their love for God. He's already addressed their love for money. Jesus is going to talk about their love for God. And then we get to verse 18. The elders, we, we, uh, to, to wrestle with this, this verse is an understatement. <laughs> I can relate when, when Bradley said in the past, let's just uh, skip over that. Why not go from verse 17 right into verse 19 into the parable? This sounds kind of odd. Jesus, it looks like Jesus throws a curveball here. Divorce and adultery in the middle of all this, what I've been talking about, fulfilling the kingdom, and you have a heart issue. What's, what's going on with that? Well, let's remember what God has said about marriage. Genesis 2, way back in the beginning, a man shall leave his father and his mother, cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 24 in the law, that, this, is, this is what the Pharisees know. They know these, five, these first five books very well. Genesis and Deuteronomy is two of them. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 
24 talks about that when a man and a when a, uh, a man and a wife and their their marriage, it, if it's not going right, if the man sees some kind of indecency in his wife, he can write her a certificate of divorce and put it in her hand and send her away. That's what Deuteronomy chapter four talks about. Talks about divorce. It's the, that that's that's in the law. That's within the law. But then, Malachi chapter 2, Malachi is one of the prophets. Malachi chapter 2, what God is basically saying, if we look in, in, into, that, into that chapter, is that He hates divorce. So that's, that's marriage, that's divorce, and that's God's heart in it. Now, during Jesus' day, during this time, the time he's speaking in, divorce is fairly rampant. It's going on a lot. Why? In part, because the Pharisees were abusing God's law. They focused on the caveat of the law and used it to find favor among the people. So, if, if someone come to them wanting a divorce, technically, in Deuteronomy 24, like, yeah, you see some indecency in her? Write her certificate of divorce. But the whole counsel of the law and the prophets, what God, His heart in it, His character in it, you've got to figure, out, you've got to figure Genesis 2, Deuteronomy 24, and Malachi 2 in it. That's where you find the heart of God in marriage. They're, they're, they're focusing on Deuteronomy 24 and the law and paying no attention to what, what God intended for marriage to be. Does that make sense? God's not, out, not, God's not after you technically. He's after your heart. He's after your whole heart. Jonathan read it, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and everything else. But it's all condition. It's not a part. It's not a half. It's not split. All your heart. So they did that. They oriented people, they, turned, they, they advised, they counseled people that way despite God's intent in marriage and what His heart is in marriage. Now, this is not all that Jesus has to say about divorce. This, this, this text is not about marriage and uh, divorce. This is an example. Jesus has a lot more to say in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark. This is, this is not it. Don't think that way. This is an example of where the Pharisees missed the mark, right? Where they didn't use as directed what has been prescribed to them, right? The Scriptures, they didn't use them as directed. So remember the treatment plan is, look at the Scriptures and take, tea, take heed to what is being preached now. Our last question. What's the quality of life look like with this heart issue? He tells a parable. So there's a rich man in this parable who feasted every day, says he feasted sumptuously every day. There's a poor man that's laid at his gate, longing to have anything that the rich man can give him, what, what, what falls from his table. 
Both men die. Rich man goes to a place of torment in the afterlife, what we would call hell. The poor man goes to a place of comfort, what we would call heaven. The rich man's able to see Lazarus, <coughs> excuse me, rich man's able to see Lazarus and Abraham and ask Abraham for mercy and to send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and touch the rich man's tongue to cool it. He's in anguish in the flame, he's being tormented, which Abraham responds this way. Let's look at verse 25, chapter 16. Abraham said, child... Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. He goes on to explain that it's impossible for either Lazarus to go where the rich man is or for the rich man to come where Lazarus is. The rich man's last plea is for Abraham to send Lazarus, basically raise him from the dead, to go tell his living brothers, there's five of them, go tell them. Go send Lazarus and tell them to repent so they don't wind up where I'm at. To which Abraham responds, let's look at it. Let's go to look at verse 29. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. What is it that we, we talk about this and we get up here and teach? What is it that we should be looking for in a parable? Y'all remember? A simple and obvious point, that's right. What's the simple point here? The rich man had it all and he wasted it away. Right? And he wasted it away with a way to live it righteously with the, with the Scriptures at his disposal and in front of him. He wasted it away. From a resource standpoint, he had it all. Then the door was shut. Remember, Jesus talked about that. Someone asked him, Lord, will all be saved? Jesus talked about the narrow door. And strive for it. Strive for that narrow door. The Pharisees are looking at the wide door. Strive for that narrow door. And at some point, that door is going to be shut and people's going to be pounded on it, trying to get in. But it's too late. There's some wild geese in this parable. You ever chased a wild goose? Don't do it. You shouldn't do it. Here's one of those. Here's a wild goose you shouldn't chase. I should be a destitute beggar like Lazarus. And I can get into heaven. It's not at all what this is about. This is a parable. This is not instructional. We shouldn't do anything with that. We're not instructed as Christians to do anything. Parables are meant to provoke an emotion. In fact, it's not really about Lazarus at all. It's about the rich man. That's the focus of this parable. It's the rich man. His wastefulness and how far 
away from God's heart, his heart was. So let's get back to our, our question. What does the quality of life, or afterlife in this case, what does that look like? It's not going to go well for you Pharisees if you continue on the path that you're going. You've got to stick, to stick to the treatment plan. Scriptures. Go back to the Scriptures. You know, it's, it's interesting. Jesus don't grab a hold of them and say, me, come to me. Forget everything that you've learned. Me, follow me. No, He doesn't do that. He directs them back to what they've known, their first love with God. The law. What they know in their hearts. Search that out and find God's heart in it, and it'll lead you to me. It'll lead you. Another thing that, that kind of jumps out, of me, out to me about this text is Jesus' care for the Pharisees. They ridiculed him. Three words. They ridiculed him. And then Jesus goes into f basically 400 words about that response that they had. He cares. He cares. The thing is, is you know, mind you, he's going from town to town. These are not the same Pharisees. Like, as a casual, if you're a casual reader of the Scriptures, and I hope you're not, but even a casual reader of the New Testament would say, he's, he's really trying to help these Pharisees again? This is like the 20th time. Well, just forget them. Any Pharisees, when he sees a Pharisees and they say something contrary to what he's been teaching, why don't he just say and focus on those that are going to listen? That's not, what, that's not who Jesus is. That's not what he did in my life. He kept pursuing me. Let me conclude with this. A God plus way of life is not what God intends for you. A God plus way of life. In this case, it's money. That's what Jesus is addressing here. But fill in the blank there. I can serve God and X, Y, Z. Money may afford us the world, but won't afford us the kingdom of God. We've said this many times. We've taught this many times. Bradley said it numerous times. The Scriptures speak to it. Jesus speaks to it. Don't pursue lesser treasures. They can master you. Does money serve us or do we serve money? And this is, this is nothing new. This is, this is not a new thought. This is a continuation of chapter 16. Bradley talked on it last week. What did he just talk about? He talked about the manager. The manager should be faithful. We should be faithful stewards to what God has entrusted us with. Right? The danger is, and I'll, I'll repeat it again, the danger of a God plus life is we'll end up loving whatever that plus is. And then we're not loving God anymore. Living the lie that we can serve God and the lesser, lesser treasures may even puff us up and give us temporary glory. But it'll only be the glory of man. Let me read Proverbs 
speaks to that a little bit. Proverbs 16.5 says this, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. There's that abomination word again. It's disgusting. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Listen, church, there's only one treasure, and that's God alone. Amen? Let me close in prayer. Father God, I, I thank you for your words. I thank you for some words that we really don't know what to do with sometimes. Those are where you grow us. Those are where that you, you put your finger on our hearts and you, and you move it around a little bit and you make us uncomfortable. God, just orient our hearts. What I ask this morning, you orient our hearts this morning to you that we cut ourselves loose from these lesser treasures and we pursue you alone in the name of Jesus. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. God, we love you so much. We thank you and we praise you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church. Please visit resfaith.com. That's R-E-Z faith.com where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you Drop us an email at connect at resfaith.com.